Hello, and welcome back to another episode of A Positive Podcast. A Positive Podcast is powered by okclarity.com. If you would like to sponsor an episode in honor of a loved one, or just because you appreciate what we do here at A Positive Podcast, please reach out through my website, apositivecoach.com. In addition, if you're curious to hear more about positive coaching and to see if it's a fit for you, please reach out through my website, apositivecoach.com to set up your free consultation today. Today's episode is a really good listen. I sit down with Devori Nussbaum, who's a psychotherapist and a teacher of Hasidus. She has like this deep understanding of Hasidus ideas of psychology, and she really has this ability to explain these concepts in an easy to understand kind of way. And in this fascinating episode, we explore the deep connections between Hasidus and psychology, the intersection between the two. And Devori, who's a really skilled psychotherapist and Hasidus teacher, she guides us through the intersection of these two worlds. And I ask her some hard questions and she really gives us some really good feedback and how we can take these Hasidic teachings and relate them to our everyday life and everyday experiences. We discuss different ideas in Hasidus, how they intersect with psychology, and I think you're going to gain a new perspective on personal growth through the lens of Hasidus and psychology. Um, I think this episode is an opportunity to learn, to reflect and grow. So sit back, relax, and be ready to grow. The Positive Podcast is brought to you by OKClarity.com. OKClarity is the place for any Jew, no matter how religious you are, to find an excellent therapist, psychiatrist, coach, or nutritionist, and it's completely free for you to use. OKClarity.com's professionals are vetted, and they have extensive experience working with the Jewish community. Yes, you can even find me there, because I'm listed as a coach. If you're in the market for a therapist, a coach, a nutritionist, a psychiatrist, or the like, you want to check them out. If you don't find what you're looking for, they have a concierge service where you complete a short form and they will personally match you with someone. Just an important side note, if you are a wellness professional, I highly recommend joining their directory. Their team is amazing and I've received referrals from their platform and OK Clarity has an amazing WhatsApp status with over 8,000 obsessed followers. And yes, I am one of them. Their WhatsApp is a free way to improve your mental health and they post great humor. So you'll laugh too. If you have WhatsApp, shoot them a message at 917-426-1495. Again, that's 917-426-1495. We'll put the links to their website and their WhatsApp in the show notes. So you can find those links and go ahead smash those links. You will not regret it. And now back to our show. Welcome Tveri, to a positive podcast. I'm really excited to have you here today. I've gotten a few suggestions from listeners about how much they enjoy listening to you and how they thought it would be a great idea for us to kind of make a podcast episode together about how psychology and Hasidus intersect. So if you could start off by introducing yourself and telling us who you are, what is it that you do, just give us a little brief you know, background of your current life. Okay, so where to begin? Um, I work as a psychotherapist, especially in the field of trauma. And I am a mother and I also teach Hasidus. And I have a, a passion in understanding who we are as people and how to like how to live our authentic selves, understanding how we how we function on a level of mind, body, breath, the whole of who we are. 
And I've come across a lot of different modalities along the way, integrated them. I've learned a lot about my own journey of healing and how to integrate and, and learned on the job, basically. And um, I just, I, I love what I do. I love, I love learning and I love teaching and I love working with people. So, Okay. So that's, yeah. a, that's a little bit of, a, you live in England, correct? Yeah, I do. And you're a mom. And so there's a lot of that probably gives you life lessons too. And yeah. my kids are like the best place to practice. Yes, of course. Everything. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Okay. So great. So you're a psychotherapist and you work with mostly with trauma in yeah. the, okay. Um, and I think that's such a great, you know, um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, intersection with Chassidus because I think somebody who's on the ground and is working with people, but also has the wisdom of Chassidus to guide them. It, it's a very interesting intersection. And that's where I really want to lead today's conversation, kind of right. trying to understand, to unpack a few ideas in Chassidus and how they jive or intersect with ideas in psychology. Okay, great. So, so I have a few questions. Um, let's begin by if you don't mind, I want to discuss something that I've been thinking about for a while. Um, two weeks ago, when I was learning the Chitas, I came across the Hayyim Yayim of the day, and I wanted to get some clarity on this. So it says in the Hayyim Yayim that the Alter Rebbe told his son, the Mittal Rebbe, that he said, quote, my spiritual grandfather, the Baal Shem Tov, once said that one must have Mesiris Nefesh for Avas Yisrael, even for a Jew whom one has never seen. So that means he needs to have self-sacrifice for loving your fellow, even for somebody you don't even know. So I'm not even getting to the part about even for someone who you don't know, I'm just getting, I'm, I got stuck on the point to have Mesiris Nefesh for Abbas Israel. I want to understand a little better, like what's, what does this mean? Self-sacrifice, meaning to love your fellow is a basis of our Tyra. It's the most important part, right? But is this saying to, to the point of giving up one's life, you know, that really doesn't jive with you know, the current or common ideas of psychology, you know, where right. we're, where are we supposed to take ourselves? You know, we we're supposed to have, you know, we're supposed to have a sense of self. We're not supposed to lose ourselves. So how would you explain this concept in, in a way that sounds even attainable? Because, you know, I think that the generation, our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation really spoke about this a lot. This was something that we heard stories about and ideals about and many, many messages of this idea. We know this, um, that it's true that, you know, we should be mavat or giving up, right? But at the same time, we want to stay true to ourselves and not lose ourselves. And I'm even going to go deeper and say, is this even a healthy goal? Like, does this, is this something that we really want to attain to? And I think that so many people struggle with this idea because, you know, especially people that are in the life, like live as shluchos or live in a life that they're giving to people. So you can, you'll meet children that will say, yeah, my parents gave up everything. We didn't even have a bed because my parents were so busy giving up. You know, I didn't have a sense of my own space because we were always, our doors were open and anybody and everyone was welcome into our home. So, and that's a beautiful thing, but at the same time, how does this work within this idea and psychology, which we all know about, that's really important, not losing ourselves? That's a great question. And I'm going to begin by defining the Alter Rebbe's definition of Avas Yisrael, because I think that's a good place to start with defining what's Mesir Snefesh and what's Avas Yisrael. And the way the Alter Rebbe defines Avas Yisrael is to view the divine essence of a human being as the truth of who they are, 
versus their defense mechanisms. You know, he talks about the animal soul and the divine soul consciousness. And he explains that the animal soul consciousness is our reactive impulsive drive for survival, for validation, um, to be good and right in the eyes of others, but not necessarily in line with Hashem, with Torah and with the value system. And every single person has a divine essence within them, literally a present, expansive, infinite light of joy and love. And so often we, and it is covered or it is surrounded by a shell of animal self consciousness, which, it, which is, I don't know who I am. I don't experience who I am. So I'm looking at the world through the eyes of defense. I'm looking at the world through the eyes of if how you look at me is how I look at myself. So, um, for example, you know, like that, that small child who smiles at their parents with a big, big smile. But let's say that child's mother is depressed and she looks back with a still face. Then that child thinks, oh, something wrong with my light or I don't even have a light. They don't even it's because it's not reflected back to them. They don't know that it's there. Right. So this is this is how we learn about ourselves from what's reflected back to us. And a lot of times, unfortunately, our true divine light is not reflected back to us. And so we don't know who we are. We, we come into the world very, very lost. And we're constantly looking for who we are. And the way that we decide to keep ourselves safe is through a whole network of um, our defense mechanisms, which are just different belief systems or assumptions or judgments or stories or, or ways that we try. We fragment and then we try and use one part to, to protect ourselves from another part and so on. And we end up with all these very complicated um, internal systems um, to try and help us just feel comfortable inside of our own skin. And what the Alter Rebbe says is that my defense mechanisms will never truly like your defense mechanisms. My defense mechanisms are totally focused on survival. And so I will only, if I perceive the world through my defense mechanisms, I will only perceive you through whether through the eyes of whether you serve me or you don't serve me, whether you're safe for me or you're not safe for me. I'm not even seeing you. I'm not even seeing who you are. I'm seeing how what role you play in my life and what what I need to do to keep myself safe in proximity to you. And this is a lot of how we begin our life in relationships with people. We don't see them at all. We don't. We can't, we're not even getting curious about them and their perspective. If they have a different perspective to us, we automatically feel threatened by it, and therefore we have to defend ourselves and so on. The author Rebbe says it's impossible to have Arthur Sisrael from this level of consciousness. The only way to truly have Ava Sisrael is to become very aware of the difference between the animal soul consciousness and the person and the true essence of the person, the divine soul consciousness, which means I can look at you and I can see through your defense mechanisms and I can see the truth of who you really are inside and how you really are just the light of love and all you really, um, <laughs> your, your essence is pure and energy and wonderful and a beautiful gift to the world and you're scared. And so you're protecting yourself, but I'm not going to define you by how you protect yourself. I'm going to keep seeing through the defenders and trusting in who you really are beneath them. This is how the Alter Rebbe describes what Avas Israel is. Now, it takes a lot of self-awareness to be able to actually have Avas Israel. I have to become aware a, of my defenders, be of your defenders. I have to become aware of the stories and the, the defense mechanism. I have to become aware of my animal soul consciousness, how it speaks to me, what it looks like, and so on. I have to become aware of what my present curious, open self feels like as well. And that takes a lot of work to get there. Like there's a lot of emotional and internal work. I have to have a regulated nervous system. I have to know how to regulate my nervous system so that I don't feel threatened in the face of others so that I can actually have access to who I am when I'm not threatened. So many of us only know ourselves through the eyes of threat. 
then we literally sometimes spend our whole lives just trying to protect ourselves from one threat or another. And so there is this process. Well, the, the whole beginning part of Tanya where the Alter Rebbe is describing, first of all, um, who we are, what we're made up of. We have you know, these two souls, the structure of the souls. And then he explains who I am and my essence. And then my essence comes out when my life is threatened. And if I really want to know who I am, I have to access the Chochma aspect of my soul. What is Chochma? Is Koyachma, the power to say, what is this? To be really open and curious, to be open-minded and curious. And from that place, from that place of open, curious wonderment, I have access to my divine. I have access to the feelings of the presence of Hashem, which is a Munan, beyond, beyond logic, space, and time, to actually feel that my own energy. And from that place of confidence in the sense of I feel my own energy, I feel the divine within me, I can then see and view and choose to view someone else as that, even though they may be displaying dysfunctional behavior, or they may be acting from a defensive place. Now that, to be able to do that, what is Mesiris Nefesh? Mesiris Nefesh means to put my Nefesh or my, if you could say my animal soul consciousness, which is, um, I mean, the divine soul also has a Nefesh, but the Nefesh is my impulsive, it's it, the, the Nefesh aspect of my soul is my biological soul. It's the the part of me that's um, keeping my, it's, it's, it's integrated with my nervous system, it's the part of me that's keeping my biology going. I have to be able to breathe and relax into my nervous system, which means to really put aside myself preservation impulses, regulate my nervous system and see a bigger picture to be able to see another person as who unique, who they are separate to me, that they're not just here to serve me. And I'm not, they're not just here as a threat to me. And then from that place of them being a separate other and valuable other, you know, like the flame of the menorah, you know, just their own flame. And for me being my own flame, then I can choose to love. And this is why on the altar Rebbe says that, you know, loving, true love, you first have to have respect before you can have love. What is this respect? It's the basic acknowledgement. The other's otherness has value in and of itself. It's not just here to serve my needs. And this is, I have to grow up into adult consciousness to know that because child consciousness sees everything through the eyes of how is this here to serve my needs. And so to have Avas Yisrael is synonymous with Mysterious Nefesh in the sense that I have to have the capacity to regulate my own nervous system, to take care of my own inner children, to see my own defensiveness, to become aware of it enough, to breathe into and relax into and become safe enough inside of my body so I don't view you as a threat. And then from that place, I can truly love you. So I have to look at somebody and not look at them and say, what could they do for me? Hmm. Or, or are neither looking at them and saying, oh, they're a threat. I have to protect myself from this person. So rather I have to look at them and see them as another Piece of Hashem. Can you can you expand a little bit at what we should be looking at them? Like how do um, I shouldn't be looking at this person what they can do for me, or I shouldn't be looking at them for how they're a threat to me, but I should well, be looking at them as to as curious, what? To get curious about who is this person. So much of our lives, we look at people and we're already labeling them in our heads. We're judging them in our heads. We're deciding whether we feel safe for them or not safe for them, but we create a whole narrative or a story about them. We're not even thinking about who is this person? Who is this person? What is their life story what are what is their light what's underneath their pain if if i'm if i'm looking at a person and i'm not coming from chachma i'm not coming from this wow what is this so i'm i'm, I'm usually coming from a place of defensiveness mm. okay so and so what i'm hearing you say is that the altarab is telling us that when we come from that place of really from a place of chachma trying to understand who they are with curiosity that's when we can have true Avas Yisrael because we're Mesiris Nefesh means 
that we've regulated our body, we've calmed ourselves, and we're in a space that now we can actually be curious and open to the other person. We're not a threat. They're not a threat. Neither are they there to serve me. Exactly. Exactly. They are. They are a divine light in this world that is here to get to be known and seen just like Hashem is here to be known and seen, but not to be controlled and not to be used. Okay. So what is it? Can you expand a little bit more on the Messiris Nefesh part of it? What does that mean to have Messiris Nefesh for Abbas Yisrael? So what, what, first of all, I think like I started explaining, but there's a lot more to it and I don't want to make it so complicated, but I'm going to try my best to, to try and simplify it. But the animal soul consciousness part of us, the part of us that is is self-preservation driven, is is very childlike in its consciousness to begin with. And um, like I said, it sees the world through the lenses of what do I need in order to stay safe? It's not bad or evil in any way. In the sense, it's just trying to survive. And we all have it. We all have it. And part of the process of being here in this world is learning how to grow up. Right, we 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 grow up in our lifetimes, and physically we grow from being a child to an adult. But spiritually, we move between child and adult states all of the time. And Hasidus, we call this cartness and godless and consciousness in our minds and so on. And we, our growth is is cyclic rather than you know in a straight line. And you know, we hear a lot about this concept of going beyond our comfort zone in order to serve Hashem or going beyond our comfort zone to do a favor for another and so on. But if I don't have a comfort zone, if I'm not in my comfort zone, then there's no comfort zone to go beyond. Most of the time, if I'm not in my comfort zone, as in I'm not regulated in my nervous system, I'm not sitting back in my body, feeling my spine, having my prefrontal cortex online, consciously seeing what's available, seeing the options and choosing to do an act of kindness for another, then mostly it's just a self-preservation program to people please or to get validation from them. If I do this act of kindness for them, then they're going to like me, then I'm going to be good and right in their eyes and then they will, I will get something that I need. So it's an animal soul consciousness. A lot of us are running on this animal soul consciousness without realizing it. So in order for me to actually go out of my comfort zone to actually do something, an actual act of kindness for God or for another person, I have to know my options. I have to feel regulated enough to have Bechira, to have choice, to say, I can feel there's a part of me that wants to say, let's say, yes to this person because it wants this person, like wants validation or it's afraid of feeling guilt or it's afraid of feeling shame or it's afraid of feeling something. And then what does my divine value system tell me is the right thing for me to do here, right? This is something else. And maybe my divine value system will tell me, actually, this is the time I say no. Take, for example, you know, you said in the beginning of this conversation, you were saying that sometimes people go out their way to do so much chesed for other people, but their children feel very ignored or diminished or they don't get their needs met. And there are halachas around where tzedakah goes to first when you have a certain amount of money, right? You first need to give to your family. You first need to give to the people you're responsible for. And this also, I feel, goes for time and time and energy, right? And a lot of times we go out of our way to do chesed for people outside our house, let's say, and our children might suffer as a result. The question is, according to the Torah value system, is that the right thing for me to do? Am I going out of my way to do chesed for everyone else because they're more appreciative of me? And it's feeding my ego on some level than if I stay home and be present with my children and nobody shows any gratitude. So what is driving my behavior? It might be I'm doing wonderful things, but what is driving my behavior? Am I, am I being driven by a need for 
for my, my I'm feeling uncomfortable inside of my own skin. I'm feeling that I need to self-soothe. I'm feeling I'm feeling anxious or ashamed or guilty. And I'm feeling like I'm being driven by this, just wanting to feel better. Am I being driven by my divine value system? And I think that this concept of mysterious nefesh is really acknowledging that maybe, maybe I really have a part of me that's desperate for that, for that validation. And it's really scared to say no, it's scared of people not liking me or being disappointed with me. And I really understand that my divine value system says, actually, I need to say no here. And so I'm going to breathe and I'm going to have compassion on my child self. And I'm going to find my feet on the floor and I'm going to ask God for help. And I'm going to go and do the thing I know is right according to my value system. And I'm going to allow that feeling of shame or guilt to wash over me and move through it. And I'm going to, I'm going to relax deeper into myself and know that I'm aligning more authentically with who I came to the world to be. Right. So, so on, on some level, I am not reacting and I'm not being driven by that survival instinct, but I'm also not shutting it down and suppressing it or ignoring it. I'm just kind of taking it with me, you know, and on some level I'm, I'm sacrificing validation. Hmm. So it begins with us knowing our own comfort zones and we need, that's what it starts with is what I'm hearing you say. With, yeah. Yeah. If I don't know what it feels like to be in a regulated nervous system state, then I don't actually have Bechera. Hmm. Bechera is that, that regulated states where I actually have conscious choice. Like I have a prefrontal cortex function that's able to see all the possibilities without, you know, be, be able to be self-aware and present the ability to, you know, yes, hold attention of opposites. Like there's so many things that when we're yeah. running amygdala program, like the, the fight flight response, our programming and everything that we do is just running on like, who's going to be upset with me and then who's going to be disappointed with me and who's going to blame me. And I, I need to do, I have to piece her and then have to help her and have to make sure she, so she's okay. And she's safe. And because I'm afraid of feeling pain or feeling rejection or feeling disappointment or feeling hurt. And I, and I'm running on this, like it, it's basically the midas of tohu, like just emotional energy and fear mm. rather than a place of noticing, wow, there's a lot of fear inside of me. What do I want to do with this? Okay. I think that leads to another question that I have um, actually really well, because you know, self-regulation is something that all of us struggle with, right? We're always mm. trying to like stay regulated in our body, um, really stay grounded and with our prefrontal cortex using that part of our brain. And, you know, it brings to mind the famous saying, you know, the brain is ruling over the heart. Can you talk a little bit to this idea? And yeah. it means in your opinion, like and in your experience, how does how does this Mayakshal Talev tie into ideas in psychology as well? Right. So I would say, well, first of all, what is Moach? Moach is Hachma Bina and Das, right? So I would that is the prefrontal cortex function, right? A lot of times we think Marshal al Halev, but we don't necessarily even know what Moach is. We think we think that our thoughts are Moach, right? But a lot of times our thoughts are actually just midas, they're just emotional emotional churning voices they're not actually prefrontal cortex function they're not actually curiosity consciousness awareness logical thought long logical thinking they're defensive so it's like a whole bunch of midas arguing with each other it's not actually they're not even online so if my moach is going to rule over my heart i.e that means i need to actually have a, a mind online <laughs> so i have to have so once i'm in a regulated state my mind rules over my heart but if I'm in a dysregulated state, I can also bring myself into regulation by getting curious, bringing online my what's going on inside of me. 
by noticing all the different voices inside of me, you know, IFS work, noticing my parts. This is bringing online my prefrontal cortex, choosing to breathe differently, choosing to notice how the tension moves through my body. This is going to regulate my nervous system. But if I have an emotion, for example, I'm feeling fear and I try and tell myself, don't be scared, don't be scared, don't be scared. That is not a moach thought. That is maybe a, a fear that's trying to control the other fear. So I'm afraid of feeling fear. So I'm telling myself not to be afraid. And then, and then, and then what happens is, is that those little, the, you know, like a whole bunch of kids end up in this, like one kid fighting another kid on top. It's like a big pile of kids, you know, just fighting with each other. None of that is Moach. And so a lot of times what happens is, is we try and, you know, I, I think this was my personal experience, especially as a teenager, I would get very, you know, self-hating and guilt tripping towards myself because I wasn't able to control what I was doing. So I, I had an addiction as a, as a teenager and I would tell myself, I'm never going to use my addiction of choice again. And then I would, and I'd be like, you disgusting human being. How could you possibly do that? And your mind's supposed to rule over your heart. What's wrong with you? And I didn't have any clue what actually meant to regulate my nervous system. And actually my addiction was my way of trying to regulate my nervous system. I didn't have any idea how the nervous system worked or what Moach really was. But it was, it was, I thought it was my thinking as supposed to control my actions, but that's not the case because we have dysregulated thoughts. They're not, right? So they're not coming from Chachma Bin and Das. So it's a way of thinking. Moach is a way of thinking rather than an actual thought. Hmm. So it's really about, a lot of this is about curiosity, about really being open. Exactly, right. And 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 that's what Chachma is. Chachma is Koyachma, power to say what? And to be open, Chachma is beyond or above Bina. Bina is the logical understanding. Chachma is that place of, I don't know. What is this? You know, and we can bring ourselves into that state beyond story. So beyond... what's a better way of, of, of um, when you say, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, what would be a better thing to be telling ourselves? I wonder why I'm so scared. What is this? Interesting. Wow, there's a part of me that's really scared. Huh. Wow. What is it afraid of? Hmm. So it's really looking at it and really observing it versus pushing it away. It's really like meeting it and asking yeah. its questions. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, it, then it might say, for example, I'm so scared that if I don't do this, I'm going to be a terrible person. And you could say, is that true? This is where Bina comes in. And then you 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 like uh, this is more like CBT. You kind of can work through the belief systems like that, um, and then you have to integrate them also through the body. So you start using your chokma, your bina, and your das. Your das would be your capacity to take what you know into something that you feel inside of your actual body, and and there's a process of actually using your chabad. You're using your your ma'ach to actually integrate or manage your midas, which are all of the, you know, shame, guilt. Um, fear, desire, like all the emotional states that are very, very powerful energy within us, very powerful, that we can choose to observe them and and kind of um, guide the energy of them through our bodies rather than have them crush us. It's like, um, like being a martial artist, you just learn how to dance with the energy rather than getting, you know, attacked by the energy. Martial artists have this beautiful way of Whatever energy is coming towards them, let's say, you know, someone's that using all their weight to lunge at someone, they'll figure out how to use their weight against them by just sidestepping or, or moving it in this direction or do some, doing something like, a, you know, with their arm. And then that 
twists the whole thing around. They just know how to work with energy. And we can learn how to do that also with our emotional energy um, by learning how to, to move with it, to breathe with it, to communicate with it in a way that we can um, you know, see it as life force rather than as a problem. Beautiful. I want to go back to just one thing before about Abhisisral that came up to me. It came up for me now as I was thinking about it. Is it a good enough gauge to ask ourselves when we want to do something for somebody else? Like if we immediately go to a place of, oh, this is good for me. This makes me feel good. Should that be something that helps us, that stops us and says, wait, this is self-serving. Is this really good? Because like when you say yes to somebody or something, you're always saying no to something else or to somebody else. Yes. So is that a good gauge to ask? Is that a question we should be asking ourselves when it comes to obviously Israel or doing something for somebody else? Is that a proper question we should be asking ourselves? Which question? Can you just repeat that? The, the question that, is it something, am I doing this to, for self-serving? Like, uh, uh, am I doing this because I'm either getting something from this or either I'm afraid of the disappointment or the 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 pain that I might be caused if I don't, or they'll be upset with me. I'm saying, is that question, like, if what if the answer is yes? What if, does that mean we shouldn't do it? Does that mean that because I'm going to get a good feeling about myself, should I not do this mitzvah? Well, I think there's two parts to it. First of all, somebody asked this question to the altar rabbi. He said, you know, I'm, I'm giving a lot of tzedakah and it's feeding my ego. Should I stop? And the altar rabbi said, is that piece of bread that you're giving to the hungry child a real piece of bread? And the man said, yes. He said, so don't stop. You know, don't worry about your ego. You're really doing good things. But having said that, every yes does have a no. And sometimes we're actually giving what is right, rightfully somebody else's. Like halakhically, there is a, is a list of how you first give tzedakah. Like I said, you first need to give to your family. And then, you know, there's a list. I can't remember the exact order. But if, for example, I decide that I'm going to take some of my time and my energy to give to someone else because it feeds my ego, but the no is now that my family will suffer or that someone I am responsible to give to is going to suffer as a result, then yes, I need to rethink that, right? So, so there's two, we're holding attention of opposites here. On the one hand, if you're giving and there, the no is, you know, the, the, the yes and the no is within your value system. The only issue that you have is that it's feeding your ego. So just go ahead and give. But if there is a yes and a no that is contradicting your value system, then you need to rethink it. Hmm. Okay. So I think that that the question really is, is we should be asking ourselves, who am I saying no to when I'm saying yes to these to this? And if and if it's not necessarily anybody and if no one's losing out from it, then I can go ahead with it. But if it's if it's somebody else's expense, exactly. I have to really, really else's expense, yeah check in with that okay that's a good way to gauge that yeah so there's something else i wanted to kind of talk about you know dbt dialectical behavioral therapy um is as it's a very it's a very interesting mo modality of therapy and one of the main premises the basic premise of it is this idea that two things can be true at the same time mm -hmm. and you know this is it's a really important skill for us humans to work on and hone and it helps us to be able to navigate. So like all the different relationships in our life and, you know, different things that we're dealing with in our life. And it, it moves us from this black and white kind of thinking 
and all or nothing kind of thinking into a more grounded place. But it's really difficult. Like it's really hard to hold two truth at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I know this is an idea in Hasidus as well, because I've, I've, I feel like I've, I've learned this concept in other places. I wanted to ask you if you could help us understand this idea of two things can be true through the lens of Hasidus. So first of all, holding the tension of opposites in our consciousness is, um, is the process of growing up. You know, like we were saying at the beginning of this conversation, child consciousness looks at the world only through the lens of how am I going to keep myself safe here? And so I can only see one perspective. It's like I have blinkers on and I can only see what's in front of me and what I need in order to survive. If somebody doesn't agree with me, that is automatically a threat because that means I'm wrong and therefore I'm bad and therefore I'm unsafe. There's no possibility of two different perspectives equally valid, just seeing things from different perspectives. And Hasidus talks about this concept a lot, especially understanding it from the perspective of Hasid and Gevura and how souls come down into the world through the process of the, the evolution of the souls, some souls come down to the world with a, with more of the energy of chesed inside of them, which means they're more giving, more creative in the way that they think, more um, expansive, and some come down with a lot of um, gavura, which is they're more boundaried and structured and detail-oriented and so on. And you have the example of Hillel and Shammai, who are both coming at her with the intention of understanding it through understanding it as it truly is so neither of them are coming at it with the perspective of both of them are coming at it from the perspective of trying to see truth in it right and and at the same time they can't they are coming at it with a slightly different lens because they have slightly different energy that their souls made up from and they perceive things slightly differently as a result and therefore they are going to see different pictures different everyone has a slightly different lens that they view the world through and everybody therefore sees something slightly different and we all have our tarot fadasha or our way of perceiving and experiencing the tarot through the authentic lens of our own souls and so holding the tension of opposites is basically saying there are you know 70 faces to the tarot and there's many many commentaries and they can all be true this these and these are both words of the living god hashem is expansive enough to hold all of the tension of opposites and we have this concept as well in Shemayim being Aish and Mayim, and Hashem is the holding together of fire and water, the capacity to be expansive enough to not have to, you know, the, the diversity in the universe. How does an infinite God express himself through a finite world? Only through infinite diversity. And we have to hold attention of opposites and see how this and this and this and this can also be Hashem, also Hashem, because Enoid Mavadoi. So, so it's very central, I believe, to to Yiddishkeit and to growth and to our capacity to, um, to to grow to grow into our true selves, to be able to hold attention of opposites, and also to be able to view other people that way. To see that just because somebody else has another perspective to me doesn't mean that they're wrong or bad, or that I'm wrong or bad. It just means that they're seeing the world through a slightly different lens. Isn't that interesting? This is, we can learn from every person. This is also a Torah beliefs like um teaching to learn who is wise he who learns from every person do you think that the reason why we have a hard time with this is because again coming from this idea that we mentioned earlier about um our sense of we need to like um there are threat their opinion is different than mine so mine will not be my truth won't be my truth if their truth is different than mine so it's like a the need for survival that's holding us back from from being able to hold this idea that two things could be true at the same time 
I, I, I truly believe that it's a, a dysregulated nervous system or a sense of defensiveness. Consciously, we can, when we're in a state of defensiveness, we can only see our perspective on reality. As soon as we start seeing another perspective, we're already starting to regulate. We're already a step, a step. There may be parts of us that are still feeling dysregulated or afraid or anxious and so on, but we're already seeing another, con we're already seeing an, uh, another perspective. We're already in a high level of consciousness. Child consciousness is, is, that, is that state where I am only right. I'm absolutely right. And don't dare tell me I'm wrong. Hmm. So what are some ways that we can help ourselves to be able to, when in an argument or when we start to feel heated or when we start to um, see somebody who's a different opinion than me, somebody I care about, somebody I love, even my spouse or, you know, a sibling or a parent, like how do we be able to, how, what, what's something that we can do to help ourselves to get to this point where my truth and your truth can both be true? So the first thing is just, is to notice that I feel like I'm in danger right now to start becoming aware of the dysregulation in your nervous system and become very aware and curious about it. Start to breathe and ground, feel your feet on the floor and relax and ask, get curious. What am I so afraid of? Let's say this person has another opinion to me. Why is that so dangerous to me? Why, why do I perceive that to be as a danger, as a threat? What am I afraid of feeling? And to get really curious with ourselves and to learn how to regulate our nervous systems also to make eye contact or soft eye contact with a person, especially someone we care about, and especially someone who's willing to do the work with us to realize that there's a part of me that's sensing danger right now. This is my my limbic system. And actually I can look, I can look into your eyes and see a softness in your eyes, and that will tell my limbic system I'm not in danger. And that we can just co-regulate for a minute and breathe. And then we can start over and say, hey, that was interesting. I got it's like all this activation from like hearing another perspective. And when I feel regulated, I can say, I'm so curious, what is your perspective? And then to listen, reflect it back. And then for them to be able to turn around and say that, thank you for listening. Now, I'd like to hear your perspective. Hmm. You know, just to be able to communicate like adults. Yeah. And to just be able to, but we have to learn skills to be able to do that. We need, we need people to coach us through, to model that behavior for us, to teach us those techniques. We have to learn how to ground in our bodies and breathe and regulate our nervous systems. And we, there's, there's a process of, it's not just like, cause I said it now, you're going to be able to do it so easily. It's like, with, you know, I could tell you how to run a marathon. You just every day run for, a, you know, 10, 15 minutes and then build on it. And in six months time, you'll be able to run. It, it's, it's so easy to say, <clears throat> but to actually do it takes, Conscious decision, choice, work, practice, focus, and you, you, but you can do it. You can do it if you just take the next tiny step, the next tiny step, the next tiny step, the next tiny step, and eventually you'll see it gets much easier. Right. So I noticed that sometimes I'll be able to say the words, like I'll ask, I'm curious, <laughs> or I'll, I'll, I have people will say that to me, like they're, they're, they say the words they're curious, but the feeling does not come across that we're actually yeah. curious it's more like i know so what i need to say saying the things they know they should say but their body's in a completely dysregulated yes yes yeah, exactly. right so exactly. so or i'll know i should be curious here so something yeah. i've noticed is if i take time to process something if i say okay so i'm noticing the activation of my body i need time physical time to come back to this but i'm saying what what could you do what what other things can you do because i do think that we know what to say, but we're not always acting really curious. Like mm -hmm. I can, I know the steps, 
but how do I get myself to really be there? So first of all, we every person has to go through this process in life where they start to get to know their own nervous system, start to get to know their own triggers, their own belief systems, their own um, stories that they've been living in. Um, this is a this is a long lifelong process of learning um, about my my animal soul consciousness. Who is she? What is she? What is her programming? You know, I have to spend time getting to know her, becoming self aware. Then I have to start getting to know also her, the physical symptoms, how she shows up in my body what muscle tensions feel like, what my breath becomes, what happens when, you know, when I experience certain feelings, um, how my thoughts start feeling differently from when I'm feeling calm. Like I have to start becoming really aware of the nuances and the changes and the shifts in my body and in my mind when I start feeling threatened. And the more self-awareness I have, this is 50% of the work is awareness. And if I can, am able to say, wow, I'm feeling really, really dysregulated right now. I must be really scared. And then part of the, the next level in the work is to learn, well, how do I re regulate my nervous system? I need to learn how to breathe. I need to learn how to ground in my body. Different regulation techniques will, learn, will work better for different people. And we have to go on a journey of exploring what regulation techniques work for me. And then I have to practice them a lot and I'll get better and better at them the more I practice them. And it's not something that we can expect ourselves to just know how to do. We need to choose to go there again and fall and pick ourselves up and go there again and fall and pick ourselves up and go there again and go there again and go there again. It's like learning how to walk. You know, you don't expect a kid to just stand up and walk without falling over. We, you know, it's funny when we, we can laugh at that because of course, of course the kid toddles along, takes a few steps, falls over and still continues crawling for a while. And they decide to try it again. They step, take a stand up, take a step, fall over. And then eventually they start walking more than they crawl. And eventually, eventually they start running and eventually, and eventually they feel like, yeah, they got this, you know, and it's exactly the same with our nervous system states. We have to learn how to work with them and spend and actually um, invest time in learning about my nervous system, becoming aware about my nervous system and learning how to regulate and finding those tools that work for me. And then what, what catching myself sooner and sooner when I start seeing that I'm dysregulated and training myself to become more relaxed in the regulated state to become more comfortable in the regulated state because sometimes we also have this thing I'm so used to living in a dysregulated state that I actually feel uncomfortable when I'm regulated it's like whenever everything's calm and everything feels good I start feeling anxious like when's the next shoe gonna drop so I have to also learn how to become comfortable in the light I have to learn how to tolerate joy I have to learn how to tolerate Live, being vulnerable having an open heart not knowing there's so much to learn this is lifelong journey of of growth and um it's all it, it's all you know part of it so so what so let me just go back to the question originally is the idea that if somebody is saying the words maybe that's the first step okay well the first step is to have the awareness but they're practicing they still haven't mastered it yet but they're 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 in the, the right direction they're, they they have to keep at it and eventually they hopefully will get better at it that that too but also the awareness is really important if i'm aware that actually my my body my mind and it might be feeling clear and what i'm saying might be technically useful things to say but my muscles my muscles are tense and my breathing short and shallow my facial expressions are contorted so i need to actually learn some skills on how to actually drop mm -hmm. those shots so it so really starts I, it really begins with self-regulation. Like that's so, really yeah. an awareness. First of all, it's awareness. What you're saying is that it, where am I? How am I feeling? What's going up? What's showing up here? And uh, yeah. then 
Like, where am I in my nervous system? Ayaka, where are you? Like, that's like the first portal. Where are you? Do you think that people get stuck there sometimes? Where? Like, where they meaning where they have this awareness, like I'm an anxious person. I'm, I, I'm very heightened right now. I need to, uh, I'm, I'm, what's the word? I'm, I'm not, I'm feeling too anxious right now. I'm like, they have this awareness, but some people get stuck there. They're like, well, I'm anxious now. So I need to leave. I need to, uh, this is where I'm at. I'm, I'm not in a good space. And I'm saying, do you think that sometimes that could lead to people getting stuck in this awareness? This is like, comes a, like almost a label. I'm an anxious person or I'm, this is what my struggle is. And I'm, I'm there again. There I am. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling dysregulated. Sure, it can become anything can become like a, a, a trap for us. And what I mean by that is that if I say I'm an anxious per person, now I expect you to cater towards my needs because I'm an anxious person, then I'm not taking responsibility for my side of the work. I could say I have anxiety and I'm going to learn how to how to breathe through my anxiety. I'm going to learn how to manage it. I'm going to learn how to grow with it. I'm going to learn also how to express myself through it and so on. This is my responsibility. Um, I could also sit here and blame everybody for triggering me my whole life and say it's all your faults because you're not supporting the fact that I'm an anxious person. And and I also, um, on the other hand, I can also express to people around who care about me, these are my triggers and I'm very sensitive. Is it okay for you to just take that into consideration next time and for them to be able to hear it out of kindness and and um, and support for us to also be there? But it's a difference between expecting that they should and asking that they, if they can, and appreciating what they do give as a gift and not casting blame when they're not able to. So it's really, where's the sense, where's my locus of control? Am I taking responsibility for myself or am I discharging responsibility for myself and trying to control you? Right. So it's like taking our power back and not giving it to somebody else. My exactly. Where's my locus of control? Where's my locus of responsibility? Right. This, is, this is basically what we're asking ourselves. So. So there's nothing wrong with expressing our needs. It's, it's a beautiful thing when we can do that. It's also important to take to take ownership and yeah. for our own growth. So, okay, one more question. I feel like the main issue that we hear about today, one of the big things we're hearing about is anxiety and the challenge that we have about living in the moment and being present. And we we know we, we've been hearing over and over again from many different you know, teachers, Rabbi Shays Taub talks about, you know, Sharbatachan a lot. We know that Hashem is running the world. And when we need to, when we stay aligned with this idea that Hashem runs the world, we know that Hashem has our back. He's doing good for us. Everything that's hap happening is actually for our good. What, but how can we actually live this idea that we can actually keep these ideas front and center in our mind? Like we know it, but it, we're having a hard time tapping into it. Basically, I guess I'm asking, can you give us some tools or tips or tricks to actually implement this idea of staying front and center that Hashem is in charge to help us with our anxiety? So first of all, it's important to to acknowledge our reality, the reality that we live in. You know, we were born into a world of darkness. We were born into a space where our consciousness is not automatically the God-centered consciousness. And um it's it's our every person has their personal Egypt, you know, their personal darkness and their limiting beliefs and their darkness, uh, their, their their chaos inside of themselves. And the Alter Rebbe speaks in Tanya about the concept of internal Yasias Mitzrayim on a daily basis. And what does he say it is? It's our das. Our das is our inner Moshe that enables us to have Yasias Mitzrayim. It's our capacity to focus our attention, our capacity to become self-aware, 
our capacity to um, become present with an idea or a concept to go beyond my, the, the, you know, the chaos of my story and see that there's also something more and to stay focused on that enough to be able to create or birth a different feeling in my body, a different state of visceral experience because our emotions are really our visceral experience. To feel expansion in my heart, which would be to feel love, to feel awe and respect for the world around me, right? And this comes from presence and time. We have to make time to focus our attention, to use our das, and to give ourselves that permission to stop, to breathe, to think about the life force energy that pulses through me, which is life itself, it's God, to see myself in the context of my life. Who am I? What am I doing here? To give ourselves the time to do that inner work, to, to connect with ourselves, and, and to kind of bring ourselves back into alignment with ourselves. Like, who am I? What am I even doing here? <laughs> like, sit with those questions. And in, from a regulated state, not from a state of panic, from a state of defensiveness, from a state of fear, just from a state of, can I be fully present in my body for just a few moments in my day? And this is what, this is what is my, this is my Yitzhia Mitzrayim in my day. This is my moment. And the Alter explains that if we spend that time, he's, he describes using that time of prayer to do this, but you can just do it. This is, this is called prayer, right? To become present and connected with God in conversation and so on. So if I'm able to do that once in my day for a few moments, and then afterwards, all the chaos comes rushing back, which is what the Alter Rebbe described as the state of, of the Bainini. When they pray, they may feel very deeply connected with God. And then as soon as they stop, boom, all the chaos of their lives come, come back. But the fact that we had that moment in the morning means that we can reconnect to it just by remembering, how did I feel this morning? And that in itself can give us enough capacity to still have choice over our lives, to still choose our next step because I'm regulated enough to make a decision. So even though there might be a part of me that's feeling really anxious right now, who do I want to be in the face of this challenge? That that possibility, that option is still available to me because I've, I've, I've exercised my das. The more I exercise it, the stronger I get. So every day when we use, we use our das or we use our capacity to focus our attention on these concepts or these ideas or, or just to regulate our nervous system, become aware of just our own body to become really mindful and present and relaxed in just this moment. Because I can know that Shema Yisrael Hashem Akein Hashem Echad Hashem is one. And I can just fall back into that experience of letting go in that moment. This is my moment of Yisrael Mitzrayim. So I can, I can go back to that, oh, my body has a visceral memory of it. I can sit and what would that feel like this morning when I was fully regulated? And that is enough sometimes. Like even asking myself the question, if I was fully regulated now, how might I act or how might I think is sometimes enough to get us back into a regulated state, you know, and to not expect ourselves to be perfect about it, to just know that we keep on trying. And every time we try, we are strengthening that muscle. And slowly throughout the course of our lives, we are going to be aligning more and more with our authentic selves. So it's, it's the, there's a few things. First of all, one of the things that hijacks us so much is the expectation that we should be able to do it perfectly, right? We should be on the level of tzaddik. I shouldn't have an animal's consciousness. I shouldn't have an instinctive survival um, you know, mechanism. But like this is the, the whole Tanya talks about this concept that 
what is the Bainini? You know, the Bainini is the one who is judged by both sides. I'm aware of my survival instinct. I'm aware of my animal consciousness. I'm super aware. I can hear it biting and kicking and screaming. I'm also aware of my divine value system and I can see them both and I can choose that I'm going to align with this over this because I'm in a regulated state. I'm the capacity to say, I see you, darling. I see the dysregulated midas. I see the fear. I see the midas of toe. I see the chaos inside of me. And I also have the capacity to choose. That's a regulated state. Whereas the Russia is one who's in a state of fragmentation and says that they're ruled by their heart, which means they're running on, they're running on energy that's impulsive and reactive. They don't have Bechira. And then you have the Tzadik, who is someone who is has completely transformed the animal soul consciousness. They don't have the impulsive drives and and the, they're not running on that energy. They're completely aligned all of the time. And what is the Tanya, the Seif Shalbanini? It's giving us the capacity to say, so how, what is possible for me? Possible for me is to be able to live from a place of choice, even if I'm not going to fully remove the animal soul consciousness from my consciousness all the days of my life. I'm still doing very valuable spiritual work. Every single time I confront and I see the urgency of the impulse inside of myself to react to something and I stop and I breathe and I relax my shoulders and I feel my feet and I look around me and I see the sun shining on my face and I notice that, wow, look how scared I am right now. Isn't that interesting? Whoa, you know, and I just see, be with it for a minute. And then I become aware that there's also other parts of me that have different voices and saying different things. I am doing exactly what I came to the world to do. I am bursting the bubble of that creeper energy of like the push for like reactivity. And I'm coming back into the Khira and I'm drawing divine light into the world in the most beautiful way. Hmm. And this so, is why maybe I was put here in the first place, to just do right. this work. And then again, every day. So what I'm hearing you say is that those of us that struggle with anxiety, if we come to a place of a realization and awareness that this is something that we may struggle with for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Like, I think there's this desire to get rid of it. I need to yeah. rid myself of it. But in a, such an important like point. somebody who shared this idea with me that they have this real, this realization and it's changed the way they are. They are so much less anxious now because they came to this awareness. Mm -hmm. So, because that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm hearing correctly. Because yeah. what when we're so busy trying to rid ourselves of the anxiety, it's almost impossible. But when we tell ourselves, wait, this is something that I might struggle with for the rest of my life. But if I keep practicing and I keep doing the things I need to do and I need to focus on breathing and regulating myself, remembering Hashem is in charge and studying all the things that I study and doing all the work that I'm doing, I'll get better at it. It'll be it'll be less anxious. It'll be easier each time. Yeah. And, and, and first of all, the reason why we are running on this programming, if I need to get rid of my anxiety is because I don't have the capacity to tolerate, tolerate pain. Mm. One of the most important things that we need to learn is to relax in the face of pain. Pain is painful, not necessarily dangerous. And what happens is, is that when we feel pain, we automatically assume we're in danger and then we try and protect ourselves from the pain. And we so then we create all of these defense mechanisms that are just actually diversions away from the pain instead of actually processing our pain we get stuck in things like anxiety shame guilt blame criticism all of these things are actually defenses that take us away from the core pain and the, usually the core pain is loss or loneliness this is usually our core pain I'm, it's sadness because of loss or loneliness right so which is also a form of loss and and that's a part of the human existence we don't come into the world without love. Like we are love and loss. Like these are the two sides of the coin, you know. 
And so until I have the capacity to expand my capacity to relax in the face of loss and give myself time to sit shiver, as it were, to just be present with the sadness of it and allow it to move through my body and to breathe, then I'm always going to be living driven by this need just to escape from the pain. So whatever it's going to take to not feel the pain. So then the anxiety is going to hijack me every time it thinks I'm moving in a direction towards the pain. It's going to say, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there, it's pain there. And then I move in another direction. It's just, no, no, don't go there, don't go there, it's pain there. And I'm like, literally now, now I'm trying to manage the anxiety it takes up all my headspace. And it's really great at helping me avoid feeling my pain, right? So basically so much of our life is about just trying to avoid pain, but causing more pain in the process without meaning to. And and so much of our work is about just relaxing into and experiencing the authentic pain of existence that we all share and to and to be with each other in it without trying to or knowing that a we can't fix it because it means we're alive fixing it means you're dead right the fact that we care means we're going to feel loss right the fact that we love means we're going to feel loss and it's a beautiful thing it's two sides of one coin you know we live in the world of duality we're not going to just feel love without loss Right, because we live in a finite world and we live in a space of, of, of you know, of, of things shifting and moving. Right? This is this is the consciousness we live in, and so when we welcome all our parts and we say, "Hi, anxiety, you are my defender. You have been here to protect me from feeling the pain of loss all of my life, and I'm grateful for you. And you served such a wonderful purpose when I didn't have the tools to sit with my pain. Thank you for coming. I welcome you into my life, and I know you'll always be here as a protector to help me to process." Or, or to help me to to feel comfortable inside of my own skin, right? Because it's even though it actually makes me feel more uncomfortable, but it's it's, it's intentions are good, right? Wait, it's intentions are so good. Welcome her, thank her, bring her in, and also never expect her to go anywhere. Literally, I think the most helpful thing to do is, with our parts is to invite them to stay forever, to acknowledge you are going to be here forever. I have to figure out how to make it work with you. You know, like it's like when you have a kid who's like a tricky kid and you realize that this is your kid, you're gonna have to figure out how to how to manage this kid's behavior. It's not like it's a kid, you're a teacher in a school and they come for the day and they have to go home and like, it's their parents' responsibility. It's your kid. You're gonna to have to learn how to live with a kid. You can spend your whole life power struggling with this kid, but you're gonna to have to learn how to communicate effectively with this kid. You're gonna to have to learn how to help this kid feel like it has an, a, a place to uh, in the family and so on, because it's not going anywhere, right? And we, it's the same thing with our internal children. They're not going anywhere. We just have to learn how to express them, embrace them, accept them, and connect with them, and and then guide them, and learn to dance with the energy, learn how to move with the anxiety, learn how to like become the anxiety, like as if yeah, breathe through it, like move your limbs through it, allow it to be there fully, so that you're not afraid of it, and then you have bechira. What do I want to do with this? Such a beautiful thought and so much to think about. This is um, a really powerful idea. I think that could be very helpful for so many of us that are struggling. Um, I want to thank you again for your time. I have so many more questions, but I just want to honor our time together. And again, thank you. Maybe we'll have to do a part two so that we could really dig even deeper. Happy to. Thank you Thanks so much. I really appreciate it.